Lesson 1 for March 25 through to 31. The Person of Peter. This series of lessons for the second quarter of 2017, for April, May and June, is titled Feed My Sheep, First and Second Peter. The author is Dr. Robert K. McIver, who grew up in New Zealand and worked most of his career at Avondale College, where he teaches Bible and archaeology. He's the author of several books, including The Four Faces of Jesus and Beyond the Da Vinci Code. A pastor in his early life, but now a lecturer, a tutor, an authority on the topic that we have this quarter, I'd like to introduce Robert MacGyver to you, who will read the introduction to this series of lessons. Because our study this quarter is First and Second Peter, we're reading the words of someone who was with Jesus at most of the important moments in his ministry. Peter was also someone who had become a prominent leader among the earliest Christians. These facts alone would make his letters worth reading. But these letting letters take on added interest, given that they are written to churches experiencing troubled times. They face persecution from without and the danger of false teachers arising from within. Peter warns that among the things that these false teachers will promote is doubt about the second coming of Jesus. Where is the promise of his coming, they will say. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. That's 2 Peter 3, 4. Today, almost 2,000 years later, we know the reality of that charge, don't we? Besides Peter's warning about false teachers, the suffering the church has experienced is a topic that he returns to several times. This suffering, he says, mirrors the sufferings of Jesus, who took our sins in his body when he died on the cross. That's what Second Peter 2.24 says. But the good news is that Jesus' death brought nothing less than freedom from the eternal death caused by sin, as well as a life of righteousness here and now for those who trust in him, 1 Peter 2.24. Peter says that Jesus not only died for our sins, but will return to earth and usher in the judgment of God. That's 2 Peter 3.10-12. He stresses the fact that the prospect of judgment should have significant practical implications in the life of the believer. When Jesus returns, he will destroy all sins and will cleanse the earth with fire. 2 Peter 3.7 Then Christians will receive the inheritance that God has been storing up for them in heaven. 1 Peter 1.4 Peter has some very practical words on how Christians should live. First and foremost, Christians should love one another. 1 Peter 4.8 He sums up his view by saying, Finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, Love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. 1 Peter 3.8 Peter's epistles are also a fervent proclamation of the gospel, the central message of the whole Bible. After all, if anyone should know the saving grace of the Lord, it is Peter. This same Peter who so openly and crassly denied his Lord, even with cursings, saying, I do not know the man, Matthew 26.74, is the one to whom Jesus later said, Feed my sheep, John 21.17. These two epistles are examples of Peter doing just that, feeding the Lord's sheep. 
And, of course, any part of that feeding would include the great truth of salvation by faith in Christ, a theme that his fellow worker, the Apostle Paul, so powerfully proclaimed. This is the truth of God's grace. Peter knew about this, not just theoretically, or just as a doctrine, but because he had experienced the reality and power of that grace for himself. As Martin Luther wrote in his commentary on Peter, Consequently, this epistle of St. Peter is one of the grandest books in the New Testament, and it is the true, pure gospel. For Peter does also the very same thing as Paul and all the evangelists do, in that he inculcates the true doctrine of faith, how Christ has been given to us, who takes away our sins and saves us. That's found in Luther's commentary on the epistles of Peter and Jude, pages 2 to 3. Jesus told Peter to feed his sheep. We are among those sheep. Let's get fed. Sabbath afternoon, March 25. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you at the beginning of this quarter, where we're going to be reading and listening to what your word has to say to us from the pen of Peter, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us each one. And whatever our circumstances, wherever we live in the world, whatever our health setting, Whatever our family setting, we just know that we can put our trust in you. And as we do so and open your word, we pray that your love will be just shown to us through the writings from these two beautiful books. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Matthew chapter 14, verses 30 and 31. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Let's read that again, Matthew 14, verses 30 and 31. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter is the author of the two books, that's First and Second Peter, that bear his name. He was one of the early followers of Jesus. He remained with Jesus during the Lord's ministry here, and he was one of the first disciples to see the empty tomb. As a result, Peter had a wealth of experiences from which, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he could draw in order to write these powerful letters. For as he wrote in Second Peter 1.16, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter appears often in the Gospels, revealing both his triumphs and his failures. He was the usual spokesman of the disciples in their interaction with Jesus. After the resurrection and ascension, Peter became a prominent early church leader. The book of Acts talks about him, as does the book of Galatians. Most important, 
Peter knew what it was to make mistakes, to be forgiven, and to move forward in faith and humility. Having experienced for himself the grace of God, he remains a powerful voice for all of us who need to experience that same grace as well. Sunday, March 26, Depart From Me When we first meet Peter, he is a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. We read about that in Matthew 4.18, in Mark 1.16, and Luke chapter 5, verses 1-11. to He had been working all night without catching a fish. But then he and his companions obeyed Jesus' command to return to the lake and to try again. How astonished Peter and the others must have been when they caught so many fish that their boats were sinking. What must have been going through their minds after this miracle? Question. Read Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through to 9. What do Peter's words to Jesus in Luke 5, verse 8 tell us about Peter? That is, what insights do they give us about where he was spiritually? Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and sought two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them, and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signalled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Peter must have been impressed by what he knew of Jesus. Even before his miracle, when Jesus told the group to put down the nets, Peter, though incredulous because he had caught nothing, Nevertheless said, At your word, I will let down the net. It seems that Peter must have known something about Jesus already, and this knowledge impelled him to obey. Indeed, evidence suggests that Peter already had been with Jesus for a while before this event. Perhaps one key is in verse 3, which talks about what happened before the miracle of the fish. Then he, Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Maybe the word of Jesus here was what had first impressed Peter so deeply. However, after the miracle, Peter sensed something more in Jesus, something holy in contrast to his own sinfulness. 
Peter's realisation of his sinfulness and his willingness to admit it publicly shows just how open he was to the Lord. No wonder he had been called. Whatever his faults, and they were many, Peter was a spiritual man who was ready to follow the Lord regardless of the cost. And so to finish today, read Luke chapter 5 and verse 11. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. What's the critical principle here? What does this text tell us about what kind of commitment Jesus asks for? What should it tell us, too, that these fishermen were willing to abandon everything when their nets were full? Monday, March 27, Confessing the Christ One of the grand moments in the story of Jesus occurred in a dialogue with Peter. Jesus just had been dealing with some of the scribes and Pharisees who had been challenging him to give them a sign, something to prove who he was, as we read in Matthew 16, verses 1 to 4. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, It will be foul weather today, for the sky is red, and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them, and departed. Then later, alone with the disciples, Jesus talked about the two miracles he had performed, in which he twice fed thousands with just a few loaves and fish. He did all this in the context of warning the disciples in Matthew sixteen eleven about the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Question. Read Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 17. What's happening here, and what is the significance of Peter's words to Jesus? Matthew 16, beginning at verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, by Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, who is in heaven. Peter here spoke boldly of his faith in Jesus. And it's clear from Matthew 16.20 that his confession of Christ as the Messiah was shared by the others as well. Let's read that, Matthew 16.20. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. This was to be a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. 
even though the disciples, including Peter, had much more to learn. From the Desire of Ages, page 415, we read, The disciples still expected Christ to reign as a temporal prince. Although he had so long concealed his design, they believed that he would not always remain in poverty and obscurity. The time was near when he would establish his kingdom. Then the hatred of the priests and rabbis would never be overcome. That Christ would be rejected by his own nation, condemned as a deceiver, and crucified as a malefactor. Such a thought the disciples had never entertained. End of quote. As soon as the disciples recognize Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus begins teaching that he would suffer and die, a concept that Peter could not accept. Matthew sixteen twenty one to 23 is where he said this. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offence to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter goes as far as to rebuke Jesus. Jesus then turned to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan, in verse 23. This is one of the harshest things that he said to anybody during his ministry. Yet, he did it for Peter's own good. Peter's words reflected his own desires, his own selfish attitude about what he wanted. Jesus had to stop him in his tracks, right then and there, and though Jesus was really speaking to Satan, Peter got the message. Peter needed to learn that serving the Lord would involve suffering. That he learned this lesson is clear in his later writings in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. And so, to finish today, how often do your personal desires clash with what you know God wants you to do? How do you decide what to do in those situations? Tuesday, March 28, Walking on Water In their time with Jesus, the disciples saw many remarkable things, although few of them can compare with the events described in Matthew 14, verses 13 to 33, and also in Mark chapter 6 and John chapter 6. Jesus used five small loaves of bread and two fish to feed more than 5,000 people. Again, what must have been going on in their minds after seeing something such as this? Question. Read Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. What's the most crucial message we can take away from this story for ourselves to help us in our walk with the Lord? Matthew 14, beginning at verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And, 
When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who are in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. With the feeding of the multitudes, these men had just witnessed the power of Jesus in a remarkable way. He truly had control over the natural world. That must have been what helped Peter make his rather bold or even presumptuous request in verse 28, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. What an expression of faith. Jesus then acknowledged this faith and told Peter to come, which he did, another expression of Peter's faith. It would have been one thing to walk on water when it was calm, but Peter did so in the midst of a storm. The usual lesson of the story is about taking our eyes off Jesus. But there's more. Peter surely must have trusted in Jesus or he never would have made the request and then acted on it. However, once he did act, he started to get scared, and in that fear he began to sink. Why? Could not Jesus have kept Peter afloat regardless of Peter's fear? Jesus, however, allowed Peter to reach the point where he could do nothing but cry out in his helplessness, Lord, save me! Jesus then stretched out his hand and did just what Peter had asked. The fact that Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him, as it said in verse 31, when Jesus could simply have kept him afloat without the physical contact, surely helped Peter realise just how much he had to learn to depend upon Jesus. We can start out in great faith, trusting in the power of our Lord, but when the situation gets frightful, we need to remember Jesus' words to Peter, O oh, you of little faith! Why did you doubt? In Matthew 14, verse 31. Wednesday, March 29, Denying His Lord Question. Read Luke 22, verses 31 to 34, and verses 54 to 62. What lessons can we learn from Peter's failures? 
Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to me, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. And Luke chapter 22, verses 54 onwards. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them, and a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then, after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also is with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter's intentions were good, and in fact he showed more courage than did the other disciples. He actually followed Jesus in order to discover what would happen to him. But in doing so, he decided to hide his true identity. This compromise, this deviation from the path of what is good and right, led him to deny his Lord three times exactly as Jesus had warned him. The story of Peter here is, in a sad way, very instructive of how devastating the result of compromise can be. As we know, Christian history is soiled with the terrible results that happen when Christians compromise crucial truths. Though life itself often involves compromise, and we must at times be willing to give and take, in crucial truths, we must stand firm. As a people, we must learn what are the things that we must never compromise under any circumstances. Let's have a look at Revelation 14.12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. According to Ellen White, Peter's compromise and failure began in Gethsemane when, instead of praying, he slept, and thus wasn't spiritually ready for what was coming. Had he been faithful in prayer, she wrote in Desire of Ages, page 714, he would not have denied his Lord. Yes, Peter failed terribly. But as great as his failure, God's grace was even greater. Romans 5.20, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. It was Jesus' forgiveness that made Peter one of the prime leaders of the early Christian church. What a powerful lesson for us all about the reality of God's grace. What a lesson to us all that despite our failures, we should press on ahead in faith. Yes, 
Peter knew what it meant to be forgiven. He knew firsthand just what the gospel was all about. Because he had experienced not just the reality of his human sinfulness, but the greatness and depth of God's love and grace towards sinners. So to finish today, how can we learn to forgive those who have greatly disappointed us, as Peter disappointed Jesus here? Thursday, March 30, Peter as Church Leader During the ministry of Jesus, Peter often acted in the role of leader of the twelve disciples. He was their usual spokesman. When Matthew lists the disciples, he says, First Peter, in Matthew 10.2. Peter also took a prominent role in the early church. It was Peter who took the initiative to appoint a disciple to replace Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, and we read about that in Acts chapter 1, verses 15 to 25. On the day of Pentecost, it was Peter who explained to the multitudes that they were seeing the promised gift of the Spirit poured out by God upon his people in Acts chapter 2. It was Peter who, when arrested for speaking about the resurrection of the dead, spoke to the high priest and the assembled Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 4. It was Peter who was led to Cornelius, the first Gentile, to be accepted as the follower of Jesus in Acts chapter 10. It was Peter whom Paul visited for 15 days when Paul first came to Jerusalem after his conversion. We read about that in Galatians 1.18. Indeed, describing the circle of Jesus' followers in Jerusalem at that time, Paul identifies three pillars of the church. Peter, James, the brother of Jesus, and John, the beloved disciple. And that's recorded in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9. Question. Read Galatians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, chapter 2, verse 9, and chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. What do these texts tell us about Peter, even while he functioned so prominently in the early church? Galatians 1. Verses 18 and 19. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And chapter 2 and verse 9. And when James, Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. What do these texts tell us about Peter, even while he functioned so prominently in the early church? Even as a church leader, even as someone clearly called of the Lord, Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep, in John twenty-one seventeen. Even as the one who received the vision about not calling any man common or unclean in Acts ten twenty-eight, Peter still had some important growing to do. In the early days of the church, almost all the Christians were Jews, many of whom were zealous for the law, as it says in Acts twenty-one twenty. In their interpretation of the law, eating with Gentiles was 
problematic because the Gentiles were considered unclean. When some Jewish Christians came from James at Jerusalem, Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles in Antioch. For Paul, such behaviour was an attack on the gospel itself. He saw Peter's actions as frank hypocrisy and he wasn't afraid to challenge him on it. In fact, Paul used the opportunity to express the key teaching of the Christian faith, justification by faith alone, as we read in chapter 2 of Galatians, verses 14 to 16. And when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? And so to finish today, though called of God, Peter had some blind spots that needed correcting. How do we respond when others seek to point out our own blind spots? Friday, March 31. From the fisherman's early admission of his own sinfulness to his bold declaration of Jesus that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's Matthew 16, 16, to his terrible denial of his Lord and even to his triumphs and mistakes as a leader in the church, Peter certainly had been a key player. Thus, under the flawless inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he could write, what he did, not only from theoretical knowledge, but from experience itself. He knew not only the saving grace of Christ, but his transforming grace as well. Ellen White writes in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, pages 334 and 335, Before his, that's Peter's, great fall, he was always forward and dictatorial, speaking unadvisedly from the impulse of the moment. He was always ready to correct others and to express his mind before he had a clear comprehension of himself or of what he had to say. But Peter was converted and the converted Peter was very different from the rash, impetuous Peter. While he retained his former fervour, the grace of Christ regulated his zeal. Instead of being impetuous, self-confident and self-exalted, he was calm, self-possessed and teachable. He could then feed the lambs as well as the sheep of Christ's flock. End of quote. Who among us can't relate in some degree to Peter? Who hasn't at times stood boldly for their faith and who hasn't at times failed miserably? And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, what does it tell us about the grace of God that even after such a shameful denial of Jesus, Peter would still come to play such a prominent and important role in not just the early church, but in the Christian faith itself? After all, he wrote part of the New Testament. What lessons can we take from his restoration about how to deal with those who, in their own way, have failed the Lord? Two, in class, talk more about the dangers of compromise for the church. 
How can we know on what things we need to give and take and on what things under no circumstances we can compromise? What are examples that we can find in church history of compromise that led to disaster? What lessons can we learn from these events? And three, Peter learns some lessons the hard way. From seeing his mistakes, how can we learn the lessons we need to learn, but in an easier way than Peter did? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled The Cancelled Funeral, Part 1 One day after school, I overheard my sister talking to a friend But it happened, the girl said The man was dead, and now he's alive How can a dead person come back to life, I wondered Then I said aloud, that could never happen It's the truth, my sister said. The man was dead, and now he's alive. I knew that God had raised people from the dead in Bible times, but miracles such as that didn't happen anymore. Or did they? I knelt and prayed the prayer of Thomas. Lord, if this is true, let me see it with my own eyes, then I will believe. And that's from John 20, verse 25. After a while, I forgot about this strange story about a dead man being raised to life. When I finished high school, I applied to serve as a global mission pioneer before starting college. A global mission pioneer is a layperson chosen by the church who was given a small stipend and asked to move into a community and teach the everlasting gospel while modelling the values of Christianity. Pioneers serve a unique and special role in starting new congregations in new areas among new people groups. I was assigned to a remote region of central Nigeria where few outsiders ever went and where we had no Seventh-day Adventist believers. I settled in a village and began making friends. Most of the villagers worshipped idols, but some allowed me to share the gospel with them. One teenage girl named One Ojo seemed especially interested in learning about God. I began studying the Bible with her. Then, one afternoon, a boy ran to my room shouting that one Ojo was dead. She died last night, the boy said. The family wants you to come before they bury her. Dazed, I slipped on my shoes and ran toward one Ojo's home. When I arrived, I found her body lying on a straw mat, bound hand and foot and ready for burial. I stared at her as I thought about our Bible study just the evening before. How can she be dead? I wondered. I touched her arm. It was stiff and cold. I asked for permission to pray before the family buried her. About twenty people in the room watched as I knelt beside her burial mat and prayed. I asked God to give this girl her life back to teach these people that God is all-powerful. I had been praying for about an hour when I noticed beads of sweat on one Ojo's body. I laid my hand on her arm and felt warmth. Encouraged, I continued praying. Then one Ojo sneezed. And this story is to be continued in next week's Inside Story. I just wonder what happened next and and what happens after that. (laughs) 
This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harrell. It was recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind. This podcast is brought to you by the Savile School Department and through the services of Hope Channel.